0: I'll tell you what, I don't think there's anybody more excited to see people in this room than me. Um, I have been preaching to an empty room for nine weeks. In fact, one week I decided to bring my dog. And I brought her because nobody was here and it was just kind of lonely and boring and sad. And she picked up on all those sad vibes and she cried the whole time. and Zach had to edit her cries out of the tape. (laughs) So, and I'll tell you what, the one that has really done the the heavy lifting over these past number of weeks, these nine weeks, is Zach Boomsma. Zach has done so much. Zach, I mean, Zach Zach has given his time, his energy, and his significant talent to serve us all, in fact, one of the videos took forty hours to complete, and Zach gave himself to it. So Zach, thank you so very much for the way that you've served our church so powerfully. Now, as you know, if you've been following along online, we've been in the book of James, and we were scheduled to be in James chapter three today, uh, but that and the message part of the section was to be this from James chapter three, verse six. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I didn't think that was probably the message for us to have as the maiden voyage back. And so I opted for something a little more joyful. We will continue in James in the future, but today I wanted us to consider 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 16 through 18, and we're going to ask this question, how do we live united as a church in these uncertain days? How do we live united as a church in these uncertain days? I'll tell you what, never has nine weeks felt so long. It is so nice to be able to see people in this room. We wish you were here, those of you who are watching on, on, on video. But never has nine weeks seemed like nine years. The last time we used this room was on March 15th, and it seems like a lifetime ago. After our service, the governor on the 15th said that there should be no gatherings of more than 50 people, and we haven't used this room since. Now, on March 15th, there were piles of uncertainties. Nobody knew the damage that the coronavirus would do to our nation and our world. And here we are on May 24th, and as the restrictions loosen up, there are still piles of uncertainties. No one still knows the damage that the coronavirus will do to our nation and our world. Nine weeks have come and gone, and we don't really know a lot more. The more things change, the more they stay the same. One good thing about this era of the coronavirus is that we're awakened to the reality, the delusional idea that we know what tomorrow holds. We have no idea. We have no clue. These nine, 10 weeks were not scheduled on anybody's calendar. Listen, we're not the only ones who don't have a clue what tomorrow holds. The news media has no idea. Politicians have no idea. Statesmen and stateswomen have no idea what tomorrow holds. The economists have no idea what tomorrow holds. Physicians don't know what tomorrow holds. Social media sure enough has no idea what tomorrow holds. No one has any idea, but here's the secret. We never knew what tomorrow held anyway. Now we're just more aware of it. We were going through life thinking that we knew what was going to happen tomorrow, but we didn't. I hope one of the effects of this quarantine is that we're less confident in what tomorrow brings and more aware of today. And today we're we're gonna ask this question. How do we, how do we facing piles of uncertainties, how do we emerge from this quarantine united? There may be things that will change forever in our nation. We still don't know if what happened was the right thing or the wrong thing. Only time will tell. So how do we, as a church, emerge united from this quarantine? Paul gives us some counsel. He speaks to another church in another time, facing piles of uncertainty. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How are we, Center Church, how are we to live in these uncertain days? We're called to live united in Christ. We are united to Christ. We are united to each other. We're called to live united in Christ. Now, what are the activities of a united church? Rejoicing, praying, being grateful. Let's pray as we look at each of those in turn. Lord, we're not all together, but you're in the midst of all of us. I'm grateful for that. Lord, you are not bound by either time, nor are you bound by space. There are no boundaries for you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we submit ourselves and open our hearts to your word, I pray that we would hear and listen. I pray that we would seek to put it into action. I pray, Lord, that in the days and weeks to come, we would be able to gather as a church again, raise our voices together again, and hear the, voice, the voices echo off the walls in this room as we lift our voice on high to celebrate you. Jesus, we look forward to that day, but we're grateful for today. And in your name we pray, amen. So what are the activities of a united church? What are the activities of a united center church? It's rejoicing, it's praying, it's being grateful. Very clear, very easy, very simple from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. That's the first note that Paul hits, rejoice always. Always. Now that might seem delusional to rejoice always. This does not mean that there is always ample reason for rejoicing because of the circumstances that are going on in our lives. Now notice this also, this is a command. So there's a sense in which Paul is saying, I want you to be happy. Now this doesn't mean that all the, all the circumstances of our lives will always be good. It doesn't mean that we have to pretend that bad things that happen to us are really good. No. But our joy does not depend on anything but Jesus Christ. One person says, happiness depends on happenings. Joy depends on Christ. See, it's emerging from this quarantine we recognize that our greatest treasure is Jesus. And we always have reason to rejoice. Because if our eyes are are focused on the shifting sand of the uncertainties that we have, we're gonna be hounded by fear and worry and anxiety, but our call is to look to Jesus and rejoice. How often? Always. Every day we have reason to rejoice. See, we have reason to rejoice because he does not change. He is ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is unchanging He is unwavering in His disposition toward us. He does not move His affection off of us. He loves us no matter what. We do not have to sit here and wonder, what cause do I have to be joyful this morning? If you are in Christ, you have ample reason to rejoice always. See, we can rejoice in Him. We may not always have reason to rejoice in our health or our mental state or our marriages, or our jobs, or our retirements, or our bank accounts, or our kids, but we will always have reason to rejoice in Christ. And a united church bends forward and strains to rejoice in Christ. There are, if you read the New Testament, if you read the Old Testament, you find all kinds of reasons for us to rejoice. I'll just mention here's a reason for us to rejoice God the Father loves us he has no reason to love us but he does in fact God the Father loves us and he sent his most precious possession to redeem us God loved the rebellious world of men and women and he did what none of us would do to rebels in that situation he gave up his Son. He gave up his son not just to be away from him for a little while, but he sent his son to become a man, not just to die, but to become a man and die and be punished for the sins of these rebels. God's love moved him to sacrifice for me. I can rejoice in that. You can rejoice in that. God's love. It's expressed in and through Jesus. No matter what's going on, no matter what uncertainties we face, we can be certain that we will not face the wrath for our sins. I have committed many sins. I've committed many sins this week, this month, even this day, and all of them have been transferred to his account. I can rejoice about that. Dane Ortland wrote a book recently called Lowly and Gentle. And he says, Jesus does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. He will not stop loving us. We can rejoice in that reality. God sent his son. His son, he's not bitter or angry or saying, Why did you do that? He loves us. So when you feel, when you become aware of a sin, and you think, I'm so dirty, so compromised, so unworthy, so unlovable. You can rejoice when you remember that that is not true. Rejoice always. A united church rejoices always in what Christ has done for them. See, we have a we have a savior greater than our feelings. Rejoicing is the first activity of a united church in the midst of uncertainty. The second activity of a united church in the midst of uncertainty is to pray without ceasing. We can see that in verse 17, pray without ceasing. Now this doesn't mean that the only thing we ever do is only always praying, but it does mean that we as believers ought to have a constant conversation with the Lord. It means we should be talking to the Lord all the time. Time continually throughout our day. It's never ceasing. As a church, think about the difference, but think about the difference we would make in our lives and in the world if we prayed and talked to the Lord without ceasing, and that our disposition was primarily toward Him and thinking about Him and, and, and oriented toward Him. Because if you're like me I always have thoughts going in my head. I have conversations going on in my head. I'm thinking about what happened, what's next, what might happen. I'm always thinking. It's never quiet. And you know what I need to do? I need to interrupt that internal conversation and talk to the Lord. And really, that's all prayer is. Prayer is not, it's not a formula. It's not a ritual. It's not a set of words that you have to say. It's a conversation with the Lord. and If you doubt this or if you need an example, look at the Psalms. The Psalms are a book about prayers. They're prayers put to song. Every human emotion is bound up in the Psalm. Pray continually. We rejoice always because of what we've been given in Christ, but we can pray continually no matter what we're going through. Is it grief Psalm 25, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. We can express that grief to the Lord. Is it confusion? We can cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We can pour out our hearts to the Lord there. Are we content? We can go to the Word and see that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Are we confident? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Are we discouraged? Why are you cast down, O soul, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, to pray continually, that's an activity of a united church. It's to pray continually and to recognize that we are to take all of our hopes and dreams and feelings and disappointments and regret and grief and fear and put it to him and put it to him because the temptation is for us for me to complain continually but not to pray continually praying continually praying continually is, is, here's the reality none of us are as strong as we think we are <clears throat> we're not called to bottle up our fears our concerns our joys or our blessings we're called to continually converse with them about them with the Lord So as we emerge from this quarantine, one of the activities of the of a United Church is that we are to be a rejoicing people, rejoicing in what we have in Christ. Another activity is we are to be a praying people, praying without ceasing. And lastly, we're called to give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. One of the things that I am most grateful for throughout this quarantine is the way you have responded, you here and you at home, as a church. Our building may have been closed, but our church was not. We're not dependent on a building. Our church, the body, center church, stayed connected and served each other. You kept in touch. You found ways to serve each other. You were generous with your money. You made sure that you, kept, you, were, you were kept aware of the needs in the body. I can't tell you how many times people reached out to me and said, if there are any needs, I wanna know. People invented ways to serve others. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful and honored that I get to be associated with you. I am grateful that I'm associated with this church because you put forth a compelling example. And what I loved about it it is it wasn't something that I initiated or the leadership team initiated. It was something that we just together expressed. I'm grateful. I'm grateful sometimes. Troubles and and bad circumstances show us opportunities to be grateful And I wonder if as we emerge from this quarantine we can work to be a people That are even more grateful Think about something as simple as gathering together as a church I've been alive 47 years and never in that time Had I been told to stay away from a church building. But never in that time am I more aware of of, of the privilege of of it is to gather together, to stand here and hear people sing to Jesus. To see faces, and I'm sure smiles under those masks. I'm grateful. And you know what, I can say something like I'm never going to take for granted the gathered church again, but I know myself. I'll forget. But I don't want to. May we as a united church be grateful. I wonder if gratefulness is one of those overlooked Christian virtues. We ought not to have it overlooked. The New Testament pulsates with the rhythm of thankfulness. Yet gratefulness in our world seems gullible or Pollyanna-ish. I want to say something loud and clear here. Being grateful does not make somebody naive or gullible. You see, people who foster suspicion and lob accusations can accuse people who are grateful as being simpletons who don't freely share critiques to any open ear. But a grateful Christian rings with the authentic tone of the gospel, It doesn't take less discernment to be grateful. It takes more. It's not as if ungrateful people are unable to see weaknesses and problems, but they choose to overlook those weaknesses and problems and focus on the active power of grace. Gratefulness is the gospel in action. Anybody can be a critic, but it takes a Christian to be grateful. From the soil of gratefulness grows every Christian virtue. May we be ever more a grateful church. May we rejoice always in what we've received. May we pray without ceasing to the God that loves us. May we continually be grateful for him and for each other. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's plural, not singular. For you, plural. So, in other words, the will of God in Christ Jesus for a center church is that we would be a people who rejoice in what we have, in Christ and who we are in Christ and those that we interact with in Christ we would be a people that raise our voice to pray without ceasing and that we would give thanks for all our blessings in all circumstances why? because this is God's will for us that's not exactly what it says what do we see? this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you In other words, we are united to Jesus. And because we are bound to him, because he is ours and we are his, because each of us are in Christ, the will of God for us is to be united. You see, what it's it's really being united around. It's being united around our common cause, our common purpose. It's being united around Jesus and who he is. Our point of unity is not uniform opinions, but Jesus Christ and him crucified for us. All of us are going to have all kinds of different opinions about all kinds of different things. But we're not unified because we're not united together politically. We're not united together about how the quarantine was handled. We're united together because we're in Christ. That's why we're a church. Now, uncertain days lie ahead. And it may even get more uncertain as the days and weeks roll on. And may we not focus on our differences of opinions, but focus on the activities of a united church as we rejoice, as we pray, as we give thanks, being united together and united in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I can't, you you know this, I have thanked you so many times in private for Center Church, for the people of Center Church, Lord. I am grateful and I pray, Lord, that you would infuse just encouragement and blessing and just just an awareness of your presence into every member and attender of Center Church, Lord. Lord. I pray that we would be a people that emerge from this quarantine stronger than we were when we went into it. I pray that we would emerge from this quarantine more united and more connected together and more connected to you, Jesus. I pray that we would come out of this quarantine being a rejoicing, praying, grateful people, not just today or tomorrow, but for All the days that we have, that we are a church, Lord, I pray that as we fix ourselves on Jesus, that we would be united around you in heart and in attitude. And I pray that we would be united in in purpose around you, Lord. I pray that what is true about the, the church in Acts, where they're all of one mind, I pray that we would be all of one mind, Lord. I pray we would be all of one mind. pray that we would, I pray, Lord, that we would be be people who are good at rejoicing and bad at complaining. I pray that we would be people who are good at pouring our hearts out to you and bad at withdrawing. I pray that we would be people good at expressing gratefulness for other imperfect people and bad at, at accusing. Lord, this only happens with you and your help. And so, Lord, we're grateful that we have you. And we're grateful that we can be united around you. And I pray that we would be a church that reflects you and your glory. Jesus, it's in your name and for your purpose and for your sake we pray. Amen.